Welcome, travelers. I'm Lee Wanika. And I'm Josh. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. And we're back. We're back talking about Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. We've had a couple episodes where our discussion has been active. It's been fun. We've talked about the things we love, the things we like, things we had concerns, questions, and minor problems. I would say quibbles. Does that sound like the right word for it, Jeff? I think quibbles. Quibbles. Quibbles it is regarding the book. Today, we're going to get into some of those details. We talked a lot about details in the last episode. I don't know about anybody else, but I like to play a fighter, and fighters get lots of feats. So let's talk about feats today. One of the things that I love about Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is that it hit on two topics that I really felt hadn't fully made their way into 5th edition yet. And the first one is there's a lot of material dealing with psionics between just different aspects of the psionic game space. And they also touched a lot on the Feywild. Now, both of those have in-game reasons because of Tasha and who Tasha is and how Tasha grew up and all that sort of stuff. But I love that those two streams were all throughout this book. And so there were a handful of feats that definitely emerged from that gameplay style. The first two that were pinged on the psionic space were your telekinesis and your telepathic powers. Uh, Both of them were somewhat variations on a theme where they would grant you a ability score increase to your wisdom or your charisma, depending on which aspect made most sense for your character. They gave you a cantrip So telekinesis gave you mage hand, which absolutely makes sense from a telekinesis point of view, versus telepathy, which gave you the detect thought spell. You can cast those as you would any other normal spell ability. But the other thing that both of them had is that they had a specific ability attached to the feat. And so with telekinesis, it gave you a bonus action where you could try to telekinetically shove a creature within within 30 feet. We were talking about how to take that feat in particular and attach it onto like a fighter class that now can render enemies prone or at disadvantage in any given round. And I thought that that was a tremendously powerful ability to go ahead and add as a bonus action for taking this feat. Similarly, when you're talking about the telepathy feat, um, you can speak telepathically with any creature you can see within 60 feet. And so that basically takes the place of like the message cantrip that you would if you were a wizard. You know, the ability to to send a thought to to another party member, or even to use it as an intimidation tactic to go ahead and speak into uh, an enemy's mind. I thought that those two abilities in particular, as attached to those feats, were really, really powerful and really, really interesting. I love the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Dark Sun campaign. Dark Sun did not get a lot of love. I see Lee Wanika raising his fist. 
Yes, absolutely. We're on the same page here. Absolutely. Um, and one of the huge features of Dark Sun was that psionics were everywhere. They permeated the very ground that you walked on. It has very much been the basis of where the players in my current campaign have found themselves, where they are on this abandoned island that's ruled by psionics, basically. Dark Sun was a huge influence in the building of this campaign, and the fact that it is really starting to trickle into 5th edition in, in a stronger way is tremendously exciting. I can't agree more. I have been utilizing the telekinetic and telepathic feats via the UA for as long as they've been out. I want to say it's close to a year or so. I rolled a character for a Dark Sun game a friend of mine is running, and I played in one adventure. Is an amazing character. I made a wizard. It was off the original wizard psionic UA, not the current one and not what appears in Tasha's. I really liked that UA. I wish that had also come forward, by the way. Um, it, was sure, really, yeah. it was really nice. I love the fact that these feats take things that can are currently spells, basically, and makes the mechanics that are accessible by this other means. So basically, it does what you and I have previously had to homebrew, which is, look, there's a spell that's an ability... We're going to let you do it X amount of times. It's not. We're not going to call it a spell. We're just going to let you have this. It truly gives gives a basis, and it is a template for lots of homebrew. If you are a person who really loves psionics and you want to expand, either you're a player and you want to know how to do this, I'm telling you the answer is take the spells that you're interested in, take the effects you're interested in, and see how they could be flavored if it was a mental power. And use these as templates. Now, feats are the way to do it so you can do it all the time. If you want to do it so it's once in a while, you would honestly have to make sure it's it's a spell. But it has that psionic flair. So if you're playing a psionic class, you have a psionic spell, voila. You just simply have to work with your DM, or if you are the DM, set it up as such. I think it's there, and I hope that because they've done it successfully and really well, we'll see a lot more of that in the future. Yeah, um, I really hope that we're going to see more psionic material, because I know that they have been dabbling with it in the UA, and seeing it in a, not a core book, but in one of the secondary books, and a secondary book which is also so well written and is going to get so much attention out there, is really, really exciting. It really makes me wonder, are we going to see a fully psionic class, or are we going to see even like a psionic subclass attached to sorcerers, or, or warlocks, or something like that? Are we going to see something coming out of this? Think about this. Psionic warlock with a mind flayer patron or an elder brain patron. Yeah. Yeah. That. That's ugly. That's ugly. That's nice. Yeah. That's something I might have to work on. I think an uh, elder brain patron would be an amazing warlock class. Yep. Think about the types of indications you could now do or add to that. There's mm -hmm. so much juice <laughs> in that cup of plenty. <laughs> You know, that would really work. I guess to, to, to kind of nail down my thoughts on uh, the telekinetic and telepathic uh, feats uh, is just this. They operate simply, they're easy to understand, and they can augment any class. doesn't matter yep. what class you are. There's a, the, what, these abilities could greatly impact you. Your party struggles with getting separated. 
in the in the course of battle, the sounds of battle make it hard to communicate or change plans midstream. Tele telepathic is your route. You were mentioning Fay and yeah. and the Fay touched feet. The uh, Fay touched feet. Yeah. Talk to me about that because I wanted to come back with the with something uh, a little darker reflection. <laughs> yeah. No, I know, and I, I I saw that in your show notes, so I'm happy to. So I think the Fay touched feet itself. It's also very similar to to the telekinesis and the and the telepathy feet uh, in the book here. And honestly, a lot of these feats are kind of variations on a theme, which is something that I know you're going to talk about in just a minute. But the Fay touched feet basically does again very similar things. Gives you one ASI to either your wisdom or your charisma. You automatically learn Misty Step, and you learn an, an additional first level spell you can there's some limitations on how you can use those spells you know you can't uh, you can't cast them you can only get you get one casting of them uh before you take a long rest the feat is nice and the feat is a solid feat what i am most excited about is the amount of Feywild material that's coming out into the world again this is not where i disagree i love the fate touch feat character that i play in a live stream game is is fate touched and it's amazing how transformative it is. This is a feat where its effects, its mechanical benefits are cool, but its flavor is insane. If yeah. you have a character who has this feat, this fade touch feat, when you get into situations, the DMs take advantage of this. Fey creatures react differently. You can have animal creatures react differently. Maybe you can have gnomes or other creatures that are somewhat fey-ish act more positively towards this creature it's not necessarily a mechanical thing but if i'm running an npc and he has a, and I, there's a fey touch character in the party i'm going to navigate that differently the, the stray dog in town is going to like that character more there's going to be impact this is your license to be cool I don't want to say that it that the flavor is greater than the substance here because I think the substance is actually quite quite impactful. Misty Step is a stupid good spell, which is why it shows up in so many things, so many features, whether they call it different names or not. There's a reason because that's a very cool ability. It's a second level spell. I mean, let me say that again to the listening audience. It's a second level spell, y'all. And while we don't think of second level spells as being terribly impressive. The ability to move 30 feet as a bonus action and then still have your full movement. I don't care how your character is built. That's pretty awesome. Yep. <laughs> and I think that your comment about how there's a great hook for your storyteller and it's got a lot of opening. Let's, let's not forget the conversation that we were just having about how the DM section of this book has an entire section related to uh-oh, your characters have found themselves in the Feywild. What do they do? Well, now there's mechanical support for changes to their character supporting that DM section at the back and vice versa. After listening back through our, our preliminary episode, how we were somewhat concerned about the lack of narrative support for some of those changes to the characters that are now available in the very beginning of the book here, specifically around you know how your species is defined and, and, and the types of abilities that you get um, and how it's much more freeform now. We felt that on, on first glance that there wasn't very much narrative support. Having listened back through that episode and having now reread Tasha's probably three or four times, specifically in preparation for this episode today, 
I think that the narrative support for all that is that DM section at the end of the book. Because what it is dealing with is it dealing with supernatural or extraordinary events that DMs can now throw at their characters. And that is the narrative basis for everything at the beginning of the book. To expand on that, I think it's interesting because we you mentioned that it is the DM stuff at the end of the book that is support, narratively supporting the information at the, the start of the book. Then I look at both the Bay Touch feet and, of course, one of my new favorites, the Shadow Touch feet. And it dawns on me that these are mechanical supports for the stuff at the beginning. If you're going to choose some wild and different background and some abilities that don't necessarily mesh with original canon, taking one of these feats can be the narrative glue that puts all of that weirdness together. Yeah, And it's not that anybody has to do that, but I personally feel that your game, your stories, and your characters will feel more real. They will work better if there is that narrative glue. We talked about the Feywild, and I think it's important to note that there aren't, there has not been prior to this a lot of Fey info out there. There's a ton of it in the homebrew world. Like I can go online at any point and Google Fey touched or Fey creatures, Fey beasts, Fey monsters, Fey situations, or any variation thereof, and come up with tons of material. And uh, within the YouTube community, within the podcast community, there are content creators that are out there doing great work with this. I talk about people I listen to a lot, um, not because they're advertisers, but because I genuinely enjoy the conversation in the community. Luke Hart has a Kickstarter. DM's Layer is his YouTube channel. That is all about the Fae. And I'm probably not going to get the name right because I'm not looking at it at the moment, but I believe it's Into the Fae Wild. I, at the time that we're recording this, I believe it is still active, but it may be coming, drawing to a close because it's been out for a little while yet. I'm not sure when that particular Kickstarter is over, but he's a great content creator. He has lots of good stuff around. We've talked about him in previous episodes. We'll probably link him in the descriptions because it's good stuff. And I will tell you that Morphe is going to be better for this game. Just to clarify on that, the name of the Kickstarter is Into the Fey, and the Kickstarter already closed uh, successfully. So Okay. All right. There you go. So as of this time, that Kickstarter is over. Great job, Luke. Congratulations on the success. I look forward to... Uh, to uh, getting it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I just want to go ahead and touch on that a little bit about how bringing the Fey into the game, or the Fey Wild in general, into the game is a good thing. With an, I, I think it does have an asterisk on it, right? And I think that that asterisk very much comes from our experience running and playing in World of Darkness games. Because if you run into anybody who has ever story told a multi-genre World of Darkness game, all you have to do is mention Changeling, and they will turn into a quivering pile on the floor because of how game-breaking the Changeling rules can be in the old World of Darkness. It, it, it's almost like bringing Wraith into a multi-genre game. It was very difficult to integrate in a way that was not totally overpowered to the disdain and the disgust of every other player in that game. So I think that thematically, the Feywild is fantastic. 
and it's it it it's like salt. You don't want to use too much. You want to sprinkle it in just the right amount because if you put too much in, it's going to ruin the dish. It's like anti-garlic, right? You can never have enough garlic in there, but salt, you can have too much. Having run more than a couple uh, World of Darkness games, I can tell you, I personally never ran Changeling. I allowed for the fact that they existed in my world. I never wrote or allowed a character to be one because of the difficulty in integrating it into that particular game. Uh, what Luke is doing, what uh, D&D is starting to do is integrate it better and trying to get away from some of those challenges. And I think they're doing a great job with that. I think it'll be interesting and fun to see where it goes. I, I think bringing in that element, but at the same time, also increasing their opposite. And they're not really opposite, but effectively. Um, talking about the Shadowfell and in the, in the context yeah. of Tasha's Shadow Touch, you know, this is a feat that basically says, hey, I'm an edgelord and I need to be edgier. It's time to get it done. I, I think that's <laughs> really where we're going with this. The feat is not terribly dissimilar than the Fate Touch, just with the Shadowfell kick to it. And, and I think that was on purpose. And I like the fact that you have that duality. I think life has a lot of duality in it in general. So when you build that into your games, it resonates with players, it resonates with DM, it resonates with your stories. So that works really well. And in the back of my head, I just picture some shatter, some Shatterkai sitting around singing to the Fae, anything you can do, I can do better. Because that's exactly what they're doing. You know, they're, 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 they're going back and forth. So that's uh, maybe that that's so a shout out. Yeah, it is a little wrong. But maybe that's a shout out. Luke, if you're listening to the sound of my voice, maybe your next Kickstarter will be a, sh- a Shadowfell book. Just saying. <laughs> so I, stepping away from those feats, I wanted to mention one of my favorite feats. And in this particular one, it is absolutely flavor over substance. And that's the chef feat. I love this feat. Like, I love it so much that in one of my last one-shots I did for a convention game, with no mechanical reason whatsoever, I gave it to one of the characters because I just thought it's a freaking cool feat. I'm like, you just have this feat because it's awesome. And they used it within that one-shot, and it worked out very, very well. I love the mechanics of it because, again, they're simple. They are beneficial to a party. Um, if you're running a party that's light on healers, if you're running a party that uh, needs some some al- some alternatives to it, it works out great. But I like it because it's fun and there's so much role play potential. Uh, yep. And then in my head, the moment I saw this, I had one vision. I envisioned a monk with this feet on a battleship or on a galleon saving the day. Uh, and it is a character I want to make. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to call this monk. It'll probably be Sigalia or something like that. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, he's like, I'm just the cook. Uh, <laughs> and it's going to be glorious. Yep. Th- 
thrown weapons and exploding microwaves. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I believe that's called the delayed action fireball. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure who exactly has to have that. Well, that's so that'll wrong. be one of the party members. This feat in particular reminded me of the druid spell Goodberry. That is just it is super utilitarian, particularly at low levels when you've got characters who just need like a handful of hit points. We just had a small encounter. We're about to have a big encounter. We don't want to take a rest because we're in the middle of a cave. And so I just need I just need a boost. I just need to pick me. Up, you know, it's a. I just, I just need to to take a swig off the bottle of gummy berry juice, and then I'll be fine. That's what this feat reminded me of, with an ability score increase. And to that point, let's talk about the ability score increases. I have been a huge fan for about ability score increases in conjunction with feats. So any feat that has a plus one to your stat, and then the features of that feat, I like better than anything that is just the the features. I'm not taking away from the state. Everybody knows Sentinel is incredible. Everybody knows Great Weapon Master, incredible. Everybody knows Polar Master, incredible. But at the end of the day, these characters that we're building only get so many ASIs. You have to make use of them in the best possible way. You have odd numbers on stats. Dropping two points on your stats isn't necessarily the best way to get your character where you want them to be. Further, even if you get them there, you're still not doing the kinds of things that support the vision you have for your character. Or in some cases, you're not getting the mechanical support or boost to be as good at the things you're doing as you'd like. That's where feats like Crusher, Piercer, Slasher come in. Those are great feats because they give you these excellent features. Each of those, by the way, has two separate features one of which tends to be damage or battle directly focused. The other tends to be battlefield control in nature. General, that's a generalization, but that they fit into those boxes fairly well. But because it also includes that stat increase, you're not sacrificing improving your stats, which benefits all your skills and many different elements of your game for these features that support your vision. You no longer have to decide vision or mechanical. You now have this nice blend of both. And I don't think thus far any of them have been overpowered. If you were to put a plus one on on Sentinel, overpowered. If you were to put plus one on Shieldmaster, overpowered. Shieldmaster, by the way, has an ability that's very similar to telekinetic. You basically use a bonus action to put somebody on the ground push them back or put them on the ground, thereby granting you advantage in your subsequent attacks or your party's subsequent attacks. It's awesome that you have these abilities to do that and there are different ways to do that. So you get these battlefield control elements and an ASI. I think had I not already for the character I play had Shieldmaster, I definitely would have considered telekinetic because advantage is king in a battle. Um, when you're rolling dice, the more you roll, the better your chances are of success. So the next three that stood out to me, and in terms of their impact uh, to the characters that I am currently playing, uh, were the Crusher, the Piercer, and the Slasher. I thought that those feats in particular were fantastic in a character flavor uh, point of view. Like, So right now, one of the characters that I'm playing is a swashbuckler-style rogue who 
just the way the build the way that the build is going is ridiculous. And so when I'm looking through this book here, I'm looking at piercer and slasher. Like, well, he fights with a rapier. That's basically a piercing weapon. So piercer is going to be a ridiculous feat to add on to that character because it's automatically going to come with the ASI, which is really nice, and it's going to allow me to reroll low damage dice. And so uh, because of the way that the build is going, again, I I don't need to have advantage on my attacks to be able to do my sneak attack. Um, and so I'm already adding 3d6 onto every roll, uh, every damage roll. Um, and now if I don't do enough damage, I can reroll one of those die. That's huge. That's really, really nice. And now I'm also on a critical, I'm going to be able to add additional dice into that. So the amount of damage output that this guy is doing, and when you combine that with his ability to hide or disengage or, or or dash to another side of the of the scene as a free act as a bonus action after he comes in and drops 23 points damage is stupid is absolutely stupid uh, in in the best way possible i'm from boston stupid's a compliment i i agree with you uh i love rogues the very first character i ever played rogue most of the characters i play rogue in general i would say when i play a game uh, or new edition or any role playing game, I will find whatever is the roguest, rogiest, rogiest, most rogi. Rogiest. Yeah, help us out, uh, community. Let us know which one you like most. Uh, uh, I'll, most most. I'll pull up on the website later. Yeah, we need we need to figure out uh, rogiest. Um, rogue, there is. Um, and. I love the mobility of the characters. I love the skills of the characters, but I like the fact that their damage is quote unquote sneaky. Like you don't think of a rogue as being a serious damage contender until you start applying sneak attack damage. The situation you mentioned, when you drop that extra dice, if that happened to be on a critical, now you're doubling all your dice and wow. Because uh, I believe that extra damage counts as weapon damage, which would mean it is, yeah, you know, it which would mean that doubles with your critical. So that's that's up to storyteller uh, interpretation of the critical rules, as always. But the way that the store, the way that the game master is running it in in our game is that if you roll a critical, um, all of your damage dice are maxed, and then you roll them. And so if you think about adding Piercer to that on a critical, uh, so now that, that character is going to be dropping 2d8 plus 3d6. Um, and so if I do that math real quick, that's 32 points of damage to start on yep. a critical. And then when I actually roll them, God forbid I roll a 1 on one of my damage dice, I get to re-roll that. And, and so now yep. I'm, doing, I'm doing bare minimum uh, 40 points of damage on that yep. roll. And what's interesting, that, that process is called Brutal Critical. I use it at my game table as well. There are a couple different variations on it or, or ways it's been said, but I think the, the best idea. I really liked the Eldritch Adept. You spoke about Adepts earlier. Again, for me, it was as simple as the importance of more options for the Warlock class cannot be overlooked. I'm a big fan of the Warlock class. In my home world, I don't have a lot of them because I think it should be somewhat unique. I like It's a unique kind of spellcaster, so I like having it be a unique kind of character within the world. I'm picky about who I would allow to be a warlock in my game. As a DM, I roleplay the patron a lot. I wouldn't say I, he, the patron is an impact in every single session, but as the patron, I speak to my 
to my player who's a warlock at least every other session. There's a conversation or a mission or a side quest or something that is very patron centric. Things that benefit and expand on that class, always fun for me. As far as initiates, I like the fighting initiate. I think fighting styles are awesome. They're impactful. Again, they add a lot of flavor. It tells you who your character is or how they operate. So having that style, that signature move or that signature method is important. And if you have a character class who wouldn't normally have access to it, get access to it. If you have a character class that already has one, how better to stand out than the fact that now I've got two? Or if you're playing a battle master who's going to have two anyway, how about the battle master who has three signature styles? That's unusual. That would be awesome. Or how about a Kensei monk who now has a signature style yep. that, that they might not normally have? These are yeah, all was, wet methods that would work really well. That was one thing that was that I wrote down about this feat section um, is that it definitely continued one of the themes of the game, and that was your ultra diversification of your character. That you are no longer locked into the fighter silo where you can only do fighter things. You know, and I'm I'm gonna admit that as I've been. As I've been talking to you about it, and as I've been reading through the book more, I am warming up to it more. I am seeing what they're doing, and I'm seeing how interesting it can be. But there are a bunch of feats in here that kind of fit that mold, right? You've got your metamagic adept, who, if you're not a sorcerer, but you want to do sorcerer-type things, now you have access into them. You know, we talked about the piercer. We talked about the gunner, who, you know, who isn't necessarily a ranged focus, but now you can get into some of the abilities that those who are range-based can can get into. You know, the you mentioned the fighter initiate. There's the artificer initiate also. So it's it's I'm class A, but I'm starting to be able to tap into features of class B. And I guess you can even look into the psionic feats, even though they they are more of a narrative. There's more of a narrative around the psionic feats. You can look at them in the same way and say, here I am. I am I'm I'm a barbarian. Uh, who is telepathic? How about playing the bar- the uh, barbarian shaman, uh, a Goliath shaman, uh, yep. Furbolg shaman? Um, yep. Any of these classes, if you're playing these naturalistic societies or coming from a naturalistic society, envision yep. a character who has the outlander background and telepathy, or the hermit background. Um, imagine your barbarian chief who who has the crusher feet. These are the types of synergies that that you have along those lines. Though they don't call it initiative, the skill expert feat could have very well been skill initiate. As we look at this, and I'm actually looking up some because you made me think of something that I'm very interested in in regards to that I was wondering if that just gives you the skill, or if there's a way to make that also expand to expertise. What skill expert does is it gives you the ASI, it gives you proficiency and a skill of your choice, and uh, you get to choose one skill in which you have proficiency and get expertise in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's... it's Yeah, so I, I was going to say, if it didn't allow for expertise, that's something I would just have to homebrew at some point. Yep. Um, but uh, the fact that it does, and I had missed that during yeah. my first read-through. So... Yep. Uh, Note to so, self and note to the audience out there, read and reread because yeah. you're going to miss things. 
hopefully conversations like this and on other channels and other podcasts will cause you to think about something the next time you build a new yeah. character or have an ASI that you're looking at to relook at these things and kind of look at those skill experts just based on the fact that it allows for the expertise as well as skill has jumped to the forefront for me. Right. Well, yeah, because it, it's one step better than expertise, right? So expertise gives you two skills that you're proficient in and now you get double proficiency in them. Yeah. Skill expert gives you a gives you a one point ASI, and now it gives you um, it, it's it's a little bit just more specific. You gain proficiency bonus in something that you did not already have proficiency bonus, and for one skill you double your proficiency bonus. Yeah. And so it kind of does it does a variation on the same thing plus an ASI, and it allows you to go ahead and take a skill which you did not have proficiency in and yeah. gain proficiency in it. And so it, it's certainly just as powerful as as expertise. I would dare say plus more. the ASI. I would dare say more because you're getting the ASI. The ASI, right? Yeah, it's entirely possible that with that. So let's let's say that you are let's say that you're an eighth level character, right? And you're taking that as an ASI. It's entirely possible that if you're picking up. Uh, your additional ASI, which is going to boost your skill bonus in that particular uh, stat, if you're getting a proficiency bonus at that level, it's entirely possible that you're going to double or more your your addition in any particular skill by taking skill expert. Like there, like yeah. I am sure I have not done the math, but I am sure that the math is out there probably already about hey, if you are at this level and these are your conditions, take skill expert. And and you know me, Josh, I love playing skill monkeys. Yeah, uh, I, I I rarely play a character who's unskilled. In yeah. three point five, I would all I never dumped, never dumped intelligence because it was the only way to get more skills and the only way to improve skills. For those who are not three point five guys, maybe that's a discussion for another uh, episode. But in three point five, you had a number of skills that were based exclusively on points, and these points you would get by your class so each class had an amount of points that you could allocate for skills it, to improve your skills you would simply added points and then the more points you added the better you were at those skills that would relate to your bonuses or your or that uh to your d20 role the cool thing was certain classes got more skill points than others each level so you right. actually had the opportunity to improve your skills each level there was no general proficiency bonus and so by that means, certain classes, bards, rogues, looking at you, expanded far faster than fighters, which allowed them to have many more skills because that skill, uh, the amount of skills was ludicrous. Or they got so good at any one skill that it was crazy because you could allocate all of your points to one skill. I, in, in, in my head, 18 points went to rogues or something like that. Some crazy number. Something, something stupid like that. I, it, it wasn't eight, might've been 18. I think it was like 12, like 18 to start and then eight per level or something like that. Yeah. And you could only, there was a cap on how many points you could put in a particular skill in any given level. Like, I think it was like, you could only have so many ranks in a skill. It's like double your level or something like that. There was like, there was a, a capping mechanic for it, but it was still stupid. But what it really did was support the narrative of I'm a person, and if I yep. put effort in, gain experience, I can get better at things. At or this I can one learn thing. New things. Yeah. As opposed um, to just kind of progressing overall, I get yeah. better in this thing. Right. And that's the one element that's missing from 5e. Yep. This is a step towards bringing it back because it, it's not in general, 
but it is an option. And because it's a feat and you don't get many of them, even fighters who get a lot, they still don't get them all the time, right? So it is still a choice. So you're basically saying, I really want to get learn this new thing, and I really want to get better at this other thing. I'm going to have to put in a lot of effort, i.e. experience and levels, before I'm able to do so. Narratively, I would ask players to support that in their story. Like, what are you doing during your downtime? I'm working on this skill. I don't get an ASI for three levels, but this is what I'm going to do during my downtime. So by the time I do get that ASI, I've had, I have the narrative explanation. Josh, I know our goal stepping into this episode was to go was to talk about feats and the classes all in one episode. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think we've gone quite a while, and I think I want to do something um, which is not going to be unusual when we uh, a year from now or two years from now when we look back at our episodes, which is basically say, why don't we call it here today? Why don't we? say our Tasha's review or Tasha's deep dive is going to, is just, we just did feats. I didn't anticipate us having such a great discussion on it. I really didn't. It was fabulous. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a, a, a quick bit. I actually thought it was going to be the shorter section of what we were <laughs> going to do today. Um, yeah. And then we're, and then come back uh, with our next episode and dive into the classes. We spoke in our preview episode that uh, when we do Tasha's, if the conversation warrants it, We'll go long and we'll make more episodes. Yep. If Tasha's ends up being 16 episodes, it's not going to. But <laughs> we'll figure it out. I would be okay with it. So we're going to come back next week with classes. We're going to get into details. And that discussion is going to be a little different. I think what Josh and I talked about is I'm going to talk about a couple of the classes and a couple of the class options that I really like that I wanted to discuss soul knife um and josh was going to talk about the ones that he really likes absolutely um, yeah i said it before i really like psionics and i'm down with the soul knife josh anything else you wanted to say about feats to kind of wrap us up here no i i think we have said more than either of us expected that we were going to say about feats and so this is a place to to leave it for today let me just go ahead and uh, run down how to get in touch with us because uh, again we would love to hear back from you what are the things that you like what are the things that you think we're wrong on what are the things that you want to discuss you know we would be happy to go ahead and take an episode where all we do is discuss your questions and your comments about what we've said about tasha's or things that we didn't discuss about tasha's so please take a minute go ahead and get in touch with us if you're listening on stitcher or itunes like subscribe comment let us know uh, but here are the ways that you can go ahead and get in touch with us so you can go directly to our website ttjourneys.com subscribe to the blog there there's a lot on there other than these podcast episodes i'm actually i'm going to be putting up uh, another fabrication article uh, as soon as i finish the fabrication <laughs> so hopefully that'll be this weekend you can also catch us on twitter at ttjourneys or drop us an email at ttjourneys at gmail.com yeah, we're really looking forward to the feedback. Since we dropped our premiere episode zero, Josh and I have been getting feedback from listeners and audience members and family and friends as well who've provided great feedback, things that we are taking to heart and we're incorporating uh, into what we do and how we do it. So for those of you who listen to episode zero, you're going to notice improvements to the show as we go. Um, we do record a little bit in advance of when episodes drop, so feedback on a given episode may not show up for two or three episodes after, but they will show up. 
we are, our goal is to continue to have a great conversation. Um, not just with each other, because we, we've known each other for years. We constantly talk to each other on Facebook <laughs> or call on the phone or whatever, or COVID not related, see each other a couple times a year. So we're going to have our conversations anyway. These are the same conversations we have ourselves. What we are very interested in is sharing those conversations with everybody else. That's why we do this. We do this because we want to be part of an ever-growing conversation in an ever-growing and ever-improving community. And we do that best when we hear from you. So leave us the comments. Definitely, please, please, please drop us your thoughts. Drop us your notes. We're also on Facebook, Josh. What's the Facebook group page? Uh, Absolutely, yeah. So the Facebook group page is just Tabletop Journeys. You can find us right on there. Absolutely. So uh, let us know what you think. And talk to us about Tasha's. Tell us what you like. If there's something we're missing or an expansion on an idea that you want us to do, like I said, we can always do more. And we're definitely willing to do that. With that, I just want to say thank you very much for joining us once again. This has been Tabletop Journeys. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.